Well, good morning, everybody. As you can tell, if you haven't figured it out by now, we are live once again. And so grateful to have you here with us from wherever you're listening. And we're going to uh, be doing live services from now on, even after we start meeting again as a church, which will be coming up shortly. So just pray for everyone's patience. But we'll continue the live stream. So if you've been joining us on Facebook or YouTube or the radio, we'll continue doing all of those. And would love for you to continue joining us if that's where you feel uh, you need to be as we continue through this uh, season of working through the crisis that we're in. And speaking of that, I wanted to read a letter from our bishop that was sent out on Thursday, and uh, he's giving us some encouragement. He's very happy with how churches have been dealing with the uh, outbreak of this virus, and so he wanted to encourage all of the churches that were working so hard at uh, limiting the spread of this virus as much as we can. And here's what he said on Thursday in regards to when we could meet again. He said, I'm asking each of our congregations to practice safe distancing and to remain in our homes following the recommendations of the state and local emergency declarations, as well as the guidelines provided by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Health Organization, and our doctors and scientists. Some areas will reopen faster than others. However, I am suggesting that each church go through a discernment period of asking the critical questions needed to keep our congregations and communities safe before returning and how best to live into a new normal. The process of reopening will undoubtedly be gradual and different in each locale. I suggest we seek answers to the following questions. How can we keep our congregation and community safe? Even as we reopen, will our congregations feel safe? What must we do to be safe and help our people feel safe? You get the, you get the theme of the, the email. What new skills or means of connection have we learned or implemented that we should continue even as we reopen? And what blessings have we experienced during this time? And how can we turn those blessings into ministries? Great questions. What new ways will we do mission and outreach? What specific ways can we bring hope to those affected by the shutdown? And so those are the bishop's words concerning advice that he's giving to churches in New Mexico and Northwest Texas. And that's kind of the phase that we have already decided that we're in. We're in a process of discernment, trying to make the best decision uh, as to when we should meet again. I know a lot of churches are meeting this weekend, and great for them. Uh, we encourage them to do whatever they feel is right for them and their congregation. Right now, we have our goal set as the first Sunday in June. We want to see how the test results from the National Guard that were here Thursday come in. We want to see what those test results look like. We want to make preparations so that when we begin meeting, we have everything that we need to follow the governor's guidelines. Uh, we want to do everything we can to partner with the game plan whether we agree with the game plan or not, we want to do everything that we can to cooperate and partner with the, the state and local game plan as to limiting the spread of this virus. And so we're doing things like ordering masks. We have someone who's making masks for us, and so we'll be prepared to follow those guidelines. Uh, but right now, we're looking at the first Sunday in June. We're going to begin meeting here again. 
and we'll be meeting both in the sanctuary, and if we have too many people for the sanctuary, we're going to try and limit it to 50 or so. We'll be have an overflow area in the, the MAC or our gym area, which we're going to try and make that as good of an experience as it is here in the sanctuary. And so we're just going to be thinking and working towards when we begin meeting again, doing it in a way that is responsible and that, as the bishop recommended, keeps everyone safe uh, until this, this virus kind of calms down, which it looks like it may do over the summertime. I would, I would suspect it will calm down quite a bit over the summertime, but we'll wait and see because we really don't know. And that's why we're, we're taking all the precautions that we're taking is because we've got different opinions on different sides of the spectrum, but really nobody knows. And so we're just trying to live and work and function in that reality. But in the meantime, our uh, online presence has become a very good blessing both to us and to our community, and we're broadening our community. And so we will continue this means of... Uh, you know, spreading the word of God, um, sharing what God is laying on our hearts here and hoping that that continues to be a blessing to everyone who connects with us, whether they grew up in this church and now they're living in different cities or they've got family members or friends that go here and they're able to join with us through this vehicle. It's been a big blessing. I know for me and my family, it's been a big blessing to have this. And so we'll be doing this permanently. And our live experience is going to continue to improve, just like our pre-recorded experience. Some of you saw the evolution of that as we went through the process of learning how to be TV producers. And, uh, and our live experience is going to continue to grow and develop. Uh, Zach's full-time here now, and he's been working hard on that. And I know he's got some great vision for where we want to go with that. And so uh, we'll just get better and better at it. Just look forward to all the good things God's going to do in the future. So this is really our first week where we're actually digging into the book of Daniel together. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. We've been holding Zoom classes on Daniel, which go more in-depth with the text. We basically go verse by verse through the chapter and go a little deeper in Daniel. That's what the title of the class is. And those are recorded now as well. So if you wanted to catch up on those classes, you could go to our website, fumclamisa.com. And there's a, a link on the home page called Deeper in Daniel where you can go catch up on the information we're sharing in those classes. Or you can join us online live Wednesdays at 6.30 through Zoom. Anyone's welcome to join us. We'd love for you to jump in and join us live or watch the recorded services. But we're going to take our time going through the book of Daniel because, once again, we think the theme that God has to share with us in the book of Daniel the, the question that God is answering through that content in Daniel, those stories in Daniel, how does one live faithful to God in a completely corrupt and evil and pagan environment? How does one live in that environment and stay loyal to God and not only survive but thrive? And the, the, the stories of Daniel and his friends teach us that that is not only possible, but there are some specific things that we can do to posture ourselves, not only to live and survive in those environments, but again, prosper and thrive and be a witness for God. And there are two key components that you're going to see consistently as a theme in the book of Daniel. There are two key uh, character components 
that enabled Daniel and his friends to withstand the pressures, the temptations, the threats, the intimidation to get them to break their loyalty or allegiance to the one true God. And here's a negative use of that word that we've been talking about this morning. Play it safe. And that's the temptation. The, the world system, the corrupt, evil, fallen world system that is real and present wherever in the world that you live is seeking to tempt you or intimidate you to break your allegiance with God and play it how your mind is going to perceive it, play it safe. And so Daniel and his friends, the two key characteristics that they're going to put on display consistently under intense threat are number one, loyalty, and number two, courage. Loyalty and courage are the things that you're going to find tested consistently in Daniel and his friend's life. And I wanted to read a verse of Scripture to you because I think this is going to set the tone, again, for the entire study of Daniel. It's from 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. God is looking diligently to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed committed to him, or loyal to him. Now think about that verse, because this is, this is exactly what you're going to see. This is a pattern you're going to see in Daniel and his friend's life. They're given tests of loyalty. They pass the test of loyalty, and the test gets harder and harder the further they go along, the more intense the testing is. But they're t given tests of loyalty. As they pass the test, God releases new power or new ability, or new resources, or new information, strength. God releases strength to them that they didn't have before as they pass those tests of loyalty. And that is the thing that the world system is going to seek to break for every believer in Jesus Christ, every follower of God. The thing the world system wants to break is your allegiance or loyalty to the one true God, which is an inner decision of the heart. And they're small, invisible decisions that we all make every day. It's a small, invisible decision of the heart on the inside. Am I going to be loyal to God or am I going to compromise in order to fit in and be accepted by the world system? Am I going to compromise in order to get some privileges or benefits from the world system? And I, am I going to compromise in order to be safe. And so this is the test of loyalty, and God says, if we pass the test, we don't need the world's resources or safety or acceptance. God will provide for us everything that we need. And so that being said, let's go now to Daniel chapter 1. And as you're flipping there, I wanted to read to you a little quote from 
or a little paragraph from a book on loyalty by a pastor named Bob Sorge. And I think this is a great little chapter here. And it's in reference to the verse we read from 2 Chronicles 16. It says, God told Ezekiel, another prophet in the Old Testament, who is a contemporary of Daniel. God told Ezekiel, so I sought for a man. Ezekiel 22.30. God is always searching. And the object of his search is for a loyal man or woman. Once he finds a Noah, he can send a flood. Once he finds a Joseph, he can give Pharaoh a divine dream. Once he has an Elijah, he can turn a nation around. When he has a Jesus of Nazareth, he can save the world. God is always looking for loyalty. Because once he finds a loyal heart, he can do mighty things on the earth. And this is precisely the story of Daniel and his friends. They fit right into that equation God wants to do something mighty in history, even though something is tragic. Something tragic has happened to his people, the nation of Israel, his nation, his chosen people. Something tragic has happened. God still wants to do something mighty on the earth, but he can't do something mighty on the earth until he finds a man or a woman whose heart is loyal to him. And so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 3, if you want to follow along with me. Daniel and his friends, as the story goes, probably young teenagers, they're in their mid-teens, even though it, says, it doesn't say that specifically, that's the track record of the Babylonian kingdom. They train young men for service, and they get them around the age of, you know, 14, 15, 16, because they want them to be assimilated into their worldview and system. And so that's a good age. There's going to be less resistance. At that age, they're going to be more pliable. They're going to be more compliant. And so they want, they want young men around that age because they're more likely to be assimilated into the worldview or system. And so Daniel and his friends are chosen. They're from the royal house of Judah. Come, they come from upper-class families. They're good-looking. They're intelligent. They have all the leadership traits that someone would look for in a foreign government that's trying to manage a country that they've conquered. And so in the process of kind of cultivating or bringing along these young men, that's where the story picks up, verse 3. Then the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who would have been the, he would have held the most prestigious office in the world, Babylon would have been the world superpower. They would have been the strongest, most prestigious country in existence on the planet at that time. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, very powerful and, and high status and renowned man, he ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, another very important person. And so if you would think of like the president of the United States and one of his high-ranking cabinet members, that's who we're talking about here chief of his court officials, to bring him into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. They're intelligent. They're well-informed. 
quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now let's stop right there in the story because there's some important things that we want to look at in regards to how do we live a life loyal to God in a pagan and corrupt environment. And so here's point number one I think the text is trying to tell us. Daniel and his friends are being taught all of the literature and the language of the Babylonians, which would have been completely based on pagan gods. That's an important point. And so the other thing, that they're being assigned daily amounts of food from the king's table. It would have been the best of the best of the food. They would have been placed in a, a high-status, high-privilege environment where they would have been encouraged, you deserve this. And then they're given names, new names. They're not going to be called by their given names from their homeland, which were based upon godly principles. They were given new names, again, based upon honoring pagan gods. And here's an important point to note as we go through the story. Daniel and his friends would have been well aware of all of this, and they don't make a big deal out of minor issues. Church, how do we live loyal and faithful to God in an increasingly pagan environment? One thing you'll see all the time is Christians making a great big deal out of things that really aren't that big a deal. And that doesn't increase their witness in the world, it diminishes their witness in the world because it makes them look petty and backward and silly, making a big deal out of things that really don't have anything to do with loyalty to God. And so Daniel and his friends don't buck the education that they're given. You know, there's nothing wrong with learning about other cultures, even if they're ungodly, because God can use that information to make you more powerful as a witness for him. And so they learned, they probably faithfully learned what they were taught. And they probably learned some valuable and useful things. Because here's the thing, not everything they learned would have been false. And here's one thing about truth, all truth is God's truth, isn't it? And God gives us the discernment to know what is true and what is not. If, we're, if our hearts are loyal to him, he strengthens our heart with everything that we need, and that includes discernment to recognize what is real and what is not. And so they're given food from the king's table, they're given new names, and they don't insist on being called by their name from Judah. The only thing that is, is to help Babylonian people be able to remember their names without constantly struggling over a foreign language. Have you ever been there? Have you ever met somebody from a foreign culture and they tell you their name and you have no idea what they just said and they repeat it five times and you still don't get it, right? There were students at, at West Texas A&M University when I was a campus pastor there, came from all over the world, and usually they'd take a very simple American name 
like Jack or Bill or Chris, something very easy to remember, and they would just tell you that was their name, even though it wasn't, because it was just going to make life easier for them and for us. And that's, there's probably more to that going on here uh, than anything else. These would, have, these would have been common Babylonian names that would have been easy to remember and identify these young men with. Now let's look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Daniel drew a line. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official, a full-grown man who is very powerful and important, and a teenage boy, he asked the royal official for permission not to defile himself this way. And so Daniel drew a line in the sand, but he did so tactfully and respectfully and submissively. Do you see the posture of his heart? These are important principles to learn. He didn't come out and and try and start a fight or pick a fight with somebody who's bigger and more powerful than him, but at the same time drew a line in the sand. Now, it's not clear what about the food or the wine was Daniel felt was a breach of loyalty. Some suggestions are that it would have broken the food codes of the Old Testament. Maybe it was pork or horse meat or something like that. That would have been against the food laws of the Old Testament. Maybe it is food and drink that had been sacrificed to the gods of Babylon. And they felt like that would have been a breach of loyalty. But the point is, their conscience was pricked. They felt like on the inside, this would have constituted being disloyal to God. And so they exercised the courage to resist. They exercised the courage to resist. And so while loyalty is the willingness to sacrifice yourself for the sake of a relationship with someone else, in other words, the relationship is more important than the reward, whatever the reward is, whether it's comfort or safety or, or privilege and pleasure, it takes courage to be loyal. You cannot have loyalty without courage. And so Daniel and his friends, even as teenage boys, have the discernment to know they need to resist this, this system in a certain way. They have the discernment to know they need to resist, and then they have the courage to follow through. These are the key characteristics that really God is looking for. These are the number one things God is looking for in people. Loyalty and courage. It's the thing that he's always been looking for. And we know that because the first commandment is what? Anybody know what the first commandment is? You shall have no other gods before me. Loyalty is number one. It's at the top of the list. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, God wants a loyalty that's based upon love right? God wants us to be loyal to him because we love him and we care about the relationship. Now, you'll see this as we go through Daniel. The world system 
or as I like to refer to it, the Antichrist system wants your loyalty as well. It wants to break your loyalty with God. It wants to have your loyalty for itself. And their loyalty is going to be braced, based upon things like force, manipulation, temptation. It wants you to be loyal based upon those things. God wants you to be loyal based upon love. And so one form of loyalty brings freedom. And one form of loyalty brings slavery and bondage. And so these are small choices that we all make secretly in our hearts on a day-in and day-out basis. Who am I going to be loyal to? Why am I going to be loyal to them? And what price am I willing to pay for that relationship? It takes courage to be loyal to God because that loyalty will be tested. Courage is an inner strength that gives us the ability to master the emotion of fear. Courage is an inner strength that gives us the ability to master the emotion of fear. Or, let me say it like this, courage gives us the inner strength to not allow ourselves to be intimidated by people or circumstances. I have power over a spirit of intimidation. Courage gives us the strength to see through and resist worldly temptation for the sake of kingdom love. And that's what you see Daniel expressing here. As a young teenage boy, he has the courage to confront a very powerful man, respectfully and tactfully. He doesn't try and do anything sneaky. He doesn't try and skirt around the system. He doesn't try and uh, foment a rebellion and try and run away from the circumstances. He acknowledges God is the one who's placed me here. If I am loyal to him, he will find a way to keep me here. And so Daniel says, <clears throat> he asked for permission to not defile himself in this way. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. This is the king's orders here. And the king is a brutal and savage man. He has poked out the eyes of probably one of Daniel's relatives, the king of Israel, for rebelling against him. He's poked out his eyes. And in the following chapter, he's kind of rash, and he's willing to kill his own servants, given impossible demands. So... This is a legitimate concern and fear here that this official is bringing up to Daniel. He says, why should he see you looking worse than the other young man your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And I'm sure he means that quite literally. Verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. See, Daniel is compromising here. He's not stomping a foot and throwing a fit and insisting and demanding. He's showing a willingness to compromise. I'll tell you what. Just test us for 10 days. It's called people skills. Just test us for 10 days. 
give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. That would have been fruits and vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And let me just say this about that. I don't think any of us would sign up for a permanent meal plan of fruits and vegetables and waters, would we? That doesn't sound like much fun. Daniel and his friends felt like in order to maintain loyalty to God, they had to draw a line here, and the temptations and the pleasures of this world were not worth breaking allegiance and loyalty to God, and they had the inner discipline and strength to resist that spirit of temptation. There's a spirit of intimidation and a spirit of temptation. This is a small test for them. It's their first test, but here they recognize they're in a test. They need to draw a line, and they have the courage and the inner strength to exercise the self-discipline to resist that. And I'll say this about that. If you're a young teenage boy, you are in an elite position. Are you with me? In the world's superpower, so it would have been the best and the brightest of the world there. It would have been like New York City of the time. How many of you know if you're a young boy, teenage boy, and you've got that kind of status and privilege and prestige, it's not just the food and the drink that you're being tempted with. Are you with me? I bet the parties were legendary. And so Daniel and his friends recognize and they draw a line in the sand. Here's the thing. It says that Daniel and his friends were among those, verse 6, who were chosen from Judah. There were probably many other Jewish boys who were chosen along with them. But only Daniel and his friends are distinguished by Scripture as recognizing the circumstances and the season that they were in and having the strength and the loyalty to God to draw a clear line in the sand and saying we're not willing to go there. And we're willing to face the consequences. Loyalty was more important than safety. It says, then compare our appearance with that of the young men Eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now look at what it says in verse 17. Remember what it said in that very first verse we read in Second Chronicles 16.9, God's eyes Go to and forth throughout the, o, throughout the earth, <clears throat> looking to strengthen the hearts of those who are loyal to him. So Daniel and his friends had a small test as their first test. They passed the test, and look what it says in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Now, the text tells us they were smart. They were intelligent. This is something unique and different. God gave them new ability, new strength, new insight that they didn't have that was supernatural, that can only come from God, and he equipped them 
not only to survive in this pagan environment, but as the story goes on, it is these gifts in particular that will cause them to rise and thrive in this pagan environment. Loyalty, willing to risk your status, your place of privilege, the luxuries, the temptations of this world, a spirit of intimidation, but I draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to be loyal to God no matter what it costs me, and God releases power to do something they did not have the ability to do before. Verse 18. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. They got promoted in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better, not, not just compared to the other young men. Are you with me? Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. In other words, not only did God place them in the position that he had in mind for them, which was a great promotion, but he kept them in the position that God had for them. And this is what the spirit of compromise tries to tempt us to do. A spirit of compromise says, I'm going to take my safety and my security into my own hands rather than leave it in God's hands and trust him to do a way better job with that than I ever could. This is what a spirit of compromise tries to tempt us to do. Place our safety and comfort and security into people. It's the fear of man rather than trusting God to do that which no human being could possibly do. And so Daniel and his friends are a great example. This is the first example, the first test that God puts them through. They pass, and not only do they pass, but God releases new power, puts them in a new position, and and gives them the opportunity to be an amazing and remarkable witness for him, not only to the king of Babylon, but really to the entire world. And so it's a story that we have for us. To this day, I feel like it's an extremely relevant message for us to this day. And so church, look at these two principles as we go through the book of Daniel, and we look at the life of Daniel and his friends. Look at the areas where they're tested with intimidation. They're tempted with compromise. And seeing the track record of God, believing and trusting that if they're loyal to God, God himself will deliver them. They will maintain their integrity. He will increase their respect, not diminish it amongst the people of this world. But even if he doesn't, because it's a relationship of love, even if he doesn't, they're still going to be loyal to God compromise. And so that's the message, church. I think it's an extremely relevant message in, a, in an environment where traditional Christianity is going to continue to be increasingly come under attack. A spirit of compromise we're going to see in churches all around us, all over the world. It's going to be a growing thing. 
We have to learn. We have to learn that a spirit of courage demands a spirit of resistance. We have to have the willingness to pull the trigger to resist a spirit of compromise and recognize, have the discernment to recognize where we draw a line in the sand and where we don't. And then when we draw that line, trusting God with no matter what the consequences may be, but if we look at the track record of Scripture, when we trust God based on loyalty, things usually turn out for our better. Amen? Now, when I talk about a spirit of resistance, just to be clear, I'm not talking about fomenting rebellion against our government. Clearly, that's not what's going on. We're not talking about storing up guns, beans, and ammo. Right? It's an ideological resistance. I am in command of what I say and what I think and what I do. And I will not allow fear or intimidation to tempt me into compromising in any of those areas. Fear is not going to make my decisions for me. Fear is not going to tell me what to think, whether it's social fear or physical fear or fear of not having enough. I'm not going to allow fear to make my decisions for me. I'm going to recognize what loyalty to God looks like. I'm going to draw a line in the sand, and I'm going to trust God with the results. And usually that works out for my better. Amen? Let me close us with a word of prayer. And then Shelly and the worship team are also going to have something for us. And so... If you just bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you that we have such great testimonies in Scripture about what greatness looks like in your eyes. We thank you that you still want to do mighty things on the earth, and your eyes are still going to and fro looking for men and women whose hearts have chosen to be loyal to you. And I would say this, church, those choices, those decisions have been made in very small ways throughout various episodes of our life. The testing has been very minimal, kind of like Daniel and his friends here. This initial test was small. But the decisions of our heart have already been made many times as to whether we're going to be loyal to, to God or not. And then many times when the big test comes, because we failed or succeeded in those small test times of testing, it's exposed in the big times of testing. So, Father, we just pray that you'd give us discernment in the season that we're in. Where does your heart stand before God? Are you more concerned about what God thinks? Or are you more concerned about what other people think? Are you more concerned about physical safety? Are you more concerned about doing that which God is calling you to do? Where does your heart stand? Is fear making your decisions for you? Or have you developed the ability to master fear? And say no to a spirit of intimidation. And trust God with uncertainty and the unknown. Father, we just pray that we would just dig into that principle 
say yes to loyalty to you and ask you, Holy Spirit, to release courage to our minds and hearts. We pray for courage, Holy Spirit. We want to have courage to know where to draw a line in the sand and to stick to it when we do, just like Daniel and his friends did. Respectfully, tactfully, submissively, but decidedly. And so, Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us the grace to grow in those areas, like Daniel and his friends. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.
enough for this whole wide world. Your great grace, oh such grace. So I'm breathing in your grace and breathing out your praise. I'm breathing in your grace. 